The proclamation of God's word can be found on page 7 of your worship folder. The sermon text reading today comes from Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Robin. Uh, well, Happy New Year. Uh, it is a joy to be together as the people of God in the house of the Lord. And this morning, we are in between sermon series. Uh, last week, we wrapped up our sermon series, our Advent and Christmas sermon series, thinking about Jesus as our prophet, priest, and king. And next Sunday, uh, we are going to be back in the book of Ephesians. But as, like, as you likely already know, we are going to be in the book of Acts this morning. And we are going to be taking a snapshot of the life in the early church. But before we get to our text this morning, I want us to ask and think about a question this morning. And that question is this is how can you as an individual, if you have a family, how can your family, and then together as a church, how can we grow spiritually in the year 2023? To ask it another way, how can we all grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? The turning of a calendar year uh, provides us a unique opportunity for all of us to pause, to reflect, to take our time, to, to take stock of our lives, and to consider the year to come. I know that many people mock the whole idea of waiting until a new year to make resolutions, but I think there is something helpful about them. In other words, I think particularly for Christians, it affords us the unique opportunity to really think about pursuing growth, prioritize in life. It allows us to ask questions such as, how can I prioritize growing and maturing as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? And as we ask these questions, as we come to a new year, I think there are a number of dangers that we need to avoid. The first danger we need to avoid is the danger of gimmicks. By gimmicks, I mean that there are always those who will say that if you do these five or so things, then you will become a better and more thriving Christian. If you perhaps peruse your local bookstore, perhaps you'll see books in the Christian living section that, that promise if you do a number of steps, then you will have a more thriving spiritual life. And friends, these gimmicks are simply man-made religious steps that ultimately cause us to be disillusioned because they do not work in the way that we thought they should work. The second danger is the one that I think perhaps we might fall more into is the danger of overcomplicating things. 
We make growth in the Christian life far more complicated than it needs to be. Similar to gimmicks, we begin to add things that God has told us, that God has never commanded us to do in order to pursue growth in the Christian life. And friends, growing spiritually is not a mysterious or complicated matter, but instead it's rather ordinary. Growth in the Christian life is not found in, 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 in new and exciting experiences, but it is found in us making the daily use of the very ordinary but powerful means that Christ has promised to bless by the power of His Holy Spirit. And this morning in our text, we find the early church doing just that. They are committing themselves as a people to quite ordinary, simple things. And what we see is that God, by the power of His Spirit, blesses them for it in extraordinary ways. It's important to know that our text comes after Pentecost. Pentecost is this climactic event in the the history of redemption where Christ ascends to the right hand of the Father and pours out His Spirit upon His people. It ushers in this new age in the the history of redemption. We now live in an age that is called the age of the Spirit. And after Christ fills His church with His Spirit, we begin to see them give themselves to certain practices that mark their life together as the people of God. In Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, we see the commitments and priorities of the early church. We see the things that they prioritize, and it is my prayer for us this morning that we here at Redeemer as individuals, as families, and then as a church community together would prioritize what the early church prioritized, in doing so, grow in the grace and believe of the Lord Jesus Christ together. To say it clearly, I believe if we want to grow spiritually in 2023 and beyond, it will only happen when we, in the words of our text this morning, devote ourselves to the practices that we find in this text. In our text this morning, the verb that drives the whole train of this section is that verb devoted in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. There's a a, a seriousness in that word devoted. It denotes a a unified commitment to something. It's a a mean, it means that they persisted in these things, that they steadfastly continued in these things. This word is used a number of times in Scripture to speak of of, of staying on a fixed direction despite various difficulties. And the natural question that arises from our text is, what did the early church devote themselves to? Luke, the writer of Acts, tells us in verse 42 that they've devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. In this one verse, Luke shows us the four commitments of the early church. They were devoted, again, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. We're going to look at the one of these one by one this morning. The first thing that Luke mentions is that the early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching. A natural question for us to ask is what did the apostles teach? What were the apostles teaching? And simply put, the apostles taught the Word of God. 
They faithfully and consistently expounded the, the, the scriptures that the teaching ministry of Jesus continues through the teaching ministry of the apostles. The apostles were, uh, were commissioned by Christ in order to, to speak on behalf of Christ, just like an Old Testament prophet would be commissioned by God to speak on behalf of God. In the New Testament, we find that Jesus commissions the 12 to speak on his behalf. If you jump your eyes up to Acts chapter 2, verses 12 to 40, you will see Peter preaching a sermon from the Old Testament scriptures about the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Throughout the whole book of Acts, if you were to step back and read the whole book of Acts, you would see that there is sermon after sermon, message after message, where the apostles are simply expounding the scriptures, emphasizing the death and resurrection of the Messiah. It is to say that the apostles were Christ-centered through and through in their teaching ministry. A mark of the early church is that they were hungry for the Word of God. The early church received the Word of God from the very mouth of the apostles. The early church wanted to see and learn about Christ from all of the Bible. Later in the Bible, the Apostle Paul is going to command Timothy, a pastor at a local church, to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture, to, to preaching and expounding it. And friends, it is to say that the lifeblood of our church, the lifeblood of any church, is the Word of God. What stands together at the center of our life together is that we are a people who are devoted to the Scriptures. At the heart of our ministry as a church is the reading and preaching of God's most holy Word. It is us together feast up, feasting upon the Word of God, upon hearing and reflecting and meditating and seeking to command all that Christ has said in His Bible that is the foundation of our life together as His people. Jesus makes this point when he says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the very mouth of God. Beloved, the word of God is food for our hungry souls. It is to say that you and I will not grow in the Christian faith apart from some vital commitment to the word of God. This is why we emphasize the Bible so much here at Redeemer. This is why we fill our liturgy with Scripture. It's why preaching stands at the center of our worship service, not because of the preacher, but because it is the Word of God that is being preached. We believe wholeheartedly as a people that what we need most is the Word of God. And friends, let me encourage you here. As one of your pastors, it is a joy to pastor a church that is devoted to the Word of God. It is evident to me that we are a people who take the Bible seriously. I love the fact, and I think Pastor John would agree, that it is a joy that you expect us to stand behind this pulpit to preach the Word of God faithfully and accurately. That at the end of the day, you don't really care what I have to say. You care what God has said in His Word. Above my encouragement for you is to continue to do just that, to not take this for granted, but to double down on your commitment to the Word of God. As an aside, 
I think being devoted to God's Word is going to be more costly over the next few years than it has been for most of us. Some of us have already felt this to some degree. Being faithful to the Scriptures is going to force us to look very out of step with the culture around us. So friends, we have to decide now, not later, if we are going to continue in our devotion to the sacred Scriptures. The early church was devoted to God's Word, but not only that, we see that the early church was also devoted to to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Fellowship is one of those Christian words that is often misused. It's one of those words that we may say over and over and over again that it ends up losing all of its meaning. When we think of fellowship, we typically think Christians gathered together in a room making small talk and perhaps drinking coffee or maybe punch and cookies after church. And that's not a bad picture at fellowship, but it falls woefully short of the New Testament's understanding of what fellowship is. Fellowship in the New Testament carries with it this sense of togetherness. It communicates a close association with one another that involves mutual interest, love, and devotion to one another. It's a word that means to share in common with. Fellowship involves and includes relational intimacy with one another. Embedded in the New Testament's understanding of fellowship is the understanding that God's people share with and sacrifice for one another. In other words, the early church loved each other. You've got to remember at this time, Christianity is a very new religion on the map. It's a small religion in the Roman Empire. They were mocked and despised by all those who around us. And Luke tells us that because of this, they were committed to cultivating their fellowship with one another. In verse 46, we, told, we are told that they constantly attended worship together. And that's important for us to understand, I think, because typically when we use the word fellowship, we think of something that happens outside of corporate work. Homes. We'll see in just a moment that the people of God do, in fact, fellowship together in their homes. But it's worth emphasizing that one of the primary ways, if not the primary way, that the early church cultivated fellowship with one another was by gathering together on the Lord's Day to worship. Their fellowship was cultivated, cultivated as they sat together and worshiped their God together. I wonder if you ever thought about the, the horizontal nature of worship. Yes, our worship is directed to the Lord. It's, it's vertical in that we commune with the triune God as we worship Him in spirit and in truth. But it's also true that our worship is horizontal as well. In other words, we don't just look up, but we look around to one another. For example, in the New Testament, we're not only commanded to, to sing, but we're also commanded to intentionally address one another as we sing. Listen to Paul's words in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness to God in your hearts. In Ephesians, he says something similar. He tells the church to address one another, to speak to one another, to sing to one another in psalms and hymns 
and spiritual songs. Beloved, one of the ways that we cultivate our fellowship is by singing joyfully and loudly to God and to one another in corporate worship. I can think of numerous of times in my own Christian life where I've walked in the doors of the church and I'm discouraged and, and doubtful and maybe borderline depressed. And as I've walked in and I've heard the people of God sing with joy, as I've watched people who have suffered immensely lift up their voices and say, it is well with my soul, I have found that my heart is encouraged time and time again. As I've seen those who've walked into the church who are struggling with the devastating effects of sin in their life, seeing at the top of their lungs that because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied and looked on Him to pardon me, I find that my heart is warmed and encouraged. Brothers and sisters, we fellowship together as we sing to our great God and King. But not only do we fellowship together as we gather for worship, it's also clear from the text that the early church fellowshiped as they gathered together in their homes. The early church was committed to verse 42, to the breaking of bread. And then down to verse 46, we are told that they broke bread together in their homes and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. There's a little bit of debate on whether the breaking of bread in verse 42 speaks of a ordinary meal together. It could perhaps speak of a, a Jewish meal that was still in rhythm, in the rhythm of the early church, or it could mean the Lord's Supper. And based on a close reading of the text, each one of those is a legitimate possibility. I'm of the position that regardless of where you land exactly on what meal it is, the point is still the same. The early church's fellowship was cultivated by frequently sharing meals together with one another. This could be the Lord's Supper, and it can also be the breaking of bread in individuals' homes. Regardless, the people of God were constantly breaking bread together. It was over shared meals where they encouraged one another, where they built one another up in their most holy faith. They were able to minister to one another as they broke bread together in each other's homes. For the early church, it was imperative. It was a necessity that they gathered together frequently over meals in each other's homes in order to nurture fellowship that they had with one another. One writer commenting on this verse says this, Eating together is a mark of unity, solidarity, and deep friendship, a visible sign that the social barriers which once plagued these people have now broken down. Being together in each other's home strengthens the familial bond that we have from, for one another. It turns us from strangers into family. Beloved, this year, perhaps commit to inviting one another in each other's homes. Maybe if you're in this room and you are on the fence of perhaps about joining a small group, make the decision even now to commit to joining one for the semester and seeing what the Lord will do for you as he ministers to you through his people. Regardless, prioritize being together with the people of God. And notice that as the people of God fellowship with one another, that this fellowship isn't abstract, 
but it's quite tangible. Take a look at verse 45. Luke tells us, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. The early church, because of their fellowship with one another, took care of one another. They were generous with one another. When one had a need, they sought to ensure that that need was taken care of. And notice that this generosity, this caring for one another, is something that is not forced. It's something that is done voluntarily. You see, the early church viewed themselves as family, and beloved, family takes care of family. We look out for one another. We are aware of each other's needs, and we seek as far as we are able to ensure that those needs are met. Our love for one another is tangible as we can see it in very practical ways. And isn't this what Jesus commanded us to do? In Jesus' last few moments, as he has his disciples in the upper room, he tells them, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. Later, the apostle John will pick up this, this thread in 1 John chapter 3, 18, and he tells us, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Friends, the early church was committed to ensuring that their needs among them were taken care of. The early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. But lastly, they were also devoted to the prayers. Take a look at verse 42 again. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. The last thing that Luke tells us is that the early church was devoted to the prayers. This likely speaks of formal times where the early church would, would gather together for prayer. These Jewish Christians would still head to the temple, especially during set times for, for prayer. They would make sure that if there was a time for prayer, they were together for prayer. But not only would they go to the temple to pray, they would also gather with one another to pray. They loved to pray together. They had what we would now call prayer meetings. An underlining theme in the whole book of Acts that I think is often um, not emphasized as much as it should be is that the early church met quite often for prayer meetings. For example, Acts, after Peter and John escaped from prison, they joined the other disciples who were at a prayer meeting. And in Acts chapter 4, 24, it tells us that they lifted up their voices together to God. When Peter and, and John decide to continue their ministry after being thrown in jail in Acts 4.31, it was decided that it was time to gather for prayer. When Peter was arrested in Acts chapter 12, the church responded not by banging on prison doors, but by calling a prayer meeting. When the first deacons are ordained in Acts chapter 6, they were ordained after a prayer meeting. Acts chapter 13 verse 1, before Paul and Barnabas were sent out for the work of missions, the early church had a prayer meeting. Then lastly in Acts chapter 16 verse 25, when Paul and Silas are in prison, the early church committed to praying on their behalf. It is to say that you cannot tell the story of the early church without emphasizing how often they gathered together for prayer. In Acts chapter 9, when the Apostle Paul is 
converted, as you wouldn't be surprised, many individuals are skeptical if he really became a Christian. And what the Lord does is the Lord describes his conversion in this way. He says, behold, Paul is now praying. Beloved, a distinctive mark of being a Christian is that you are an individual who prays. And in the same way, a mark of a healthy church, a mark of a faithful church, a mark of a Christ-centered church is that we gather together to pray, that we gather frequently to pray, that our corporate worship services are filled with prayer. But this also means that we gather together at regular times for the sole purpose of praying. Friends, prayer meetings are a necessity for our life together as a church. And I would go as far as to say that our prayer meeting on the second Sunday of the month is perhaps the most important thing we do together outside of corporate worship on Sunday morning. And beloved, hear me, I think this is an area in which we can grow together as the people of God. What would it do for our ministry? What would it do for our shared life together? What would it do for you as an individual if you committed to gathering once a month with the people of God to lift up your voices in prayer? You see, our prayer meeting isn't the most exciting thing in the world. People often go downstairs to the fellowship hall. We, we share our burdens with one another, and then we bow home. If you were to request known to God, then we hang out for a little while, and then we head home. If you were to peer into it, it is pretty unremarkable. But even though it is not the most exciting thing in the world, it is a means by which God blesses his people and advances his kingdom. Praying together shows that we are not dependent upon our own might and strength, but that we are dependent upon God. When we pray together, we are no longer driven by visible and tangible results, but instead we are choosing to leave all of the results up to God. As we pray together, we lean on God together as a people. Megan Hill in her helpful little book called Praying Together says this, she says, the church is not merely a roster of individuals who pray privately, it is a congregation that ought to pray together publicly. Brothers and sisters, in 2023, may we be a praying people together. The early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and then notice down in verse 47, that the Lord blessed them for it by adding to their number day by day those who are being saved. Friends, a church that is committed to these various things is a church that the Lord Jesus Christ by his spirit is what blesses. And the question that we need to ask before we finish out our time together is what is the key to all of this? What made the church so committed to these practices well, I think the key is found in verse 43 in our text. Verse 33, it says, and awe came upon every soul. The early church was committed to these things because they were in awe of God. A church that is committed to these practices is a church that takes God seriously. 
is a church that is committed and is in awe of the glorious nature of our God. And it is my prayer for us as a church and for all of us as individuals that we would be in awe of God this year. Beloved, if you want to grow in the Christian life, then we all together have to commit together as the people of God to devoting ourselves to the means that God has given us in these very short few verses. You see, we do these things not out of empty religious obligation, or we don't do these as a a formula in order to be blessed. We do these because it is through these very means that we get more of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do these things because the the Spirit has promised to bless us with more and more and more of Jesus. And I pray that by God's grace, 2023 would be a year where we get more and more of Jesus as we are conformed to His image. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank you that you and your great grace have spoken to us in your word. And Lord, we thank you for this new year. And we pray that you would, by the power of your spirit, grow us in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would give us together as a a church a single-minded devotion as we commit to these very ordinary but extraordinary practices that marked the life of the early church, and by God's grace will mark our life together as well. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.